Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. This will be our last sermon in our 1 Corinthians series. So, yeah. Which is always, you know, it's always bittersweet because uh, it's exciting to move on to new things in Scripture and, and study other things. But, man, we have gained so much from being in this book and studying it together. I'm grateful for, for those of you who've been with us from the very beginning of this study. Uh, there are a lot of people that have joined the ministry and, and joined with it. Raven. Hey, hey guys. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> it's good to see you guys. Um, but uh, there's, there's some of you that have joined us, maybe even uh, only just recently, and, and um, man, the Word of God is so good, and I, and I pray that, um, man, you would stay with us. You would, you would continue to stay with us and co- continue to study the Word with us and learn just how good God is and, and, and how wonderful His, His Word is. Uh, we will be studying Ephesians next. That's where we'll be. I think there's a lot to gain uh, from Ephesians. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to studying that. That'll, that'll be where we go next. But um, since we, we began this study called Dear Corinth, um, man, we have gained so much. Uh, when the church in Corinth reached out to Paul and uh, asked for help, asked for spiritual guidance. They were a church, they were a juvenile church of only just eight years old. And they had issues of immaturity. And I think a lot of us, uh, you know, in our 20s, right? Not, I mean, not me, of course. I, in my 40s, I'm, I'm gonna, I have immaturities too. But, but I think early on in your walk with the Lord in, in your 20s, there are a lot of similar issues that you struggle with that the church in Corinth struggled with. They were unclear in their identity. There were struggles to be obedient to the Lord, to obey his commands, to obey the things that they'd been taught. They were permissive and uh, indulged sinful behavior. They made excuses for sinful behavior. They were undisciplined. They were wavering in their loyalties to God. And they doubted very simple truths. These are all things that the church in Corinth struggled with. So Paul wrote them in return to address these many different issues. And he did. He did address these issues. He was very thorough. And I believe that that it's been very healthy for us as a ministry. We've learned so much along the way. But here we find ourselves at the closing of this journey. And as we end our study, we must ask ourselves, what are you going to do with the lessons that you've learned? What are you going to do with them as an individual? And what are we going to do with, with these lessons as a ministry? What are you going to do now that you, that you better understand your identity in Christ? Now that you better understand your gifting Now that you understand the difference between liberty and license, now that you better understand the responsibilities of a marriage, now that you've found hope and confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do? What does a believer, a believer that's maturing in their walk, do with this kind of knowledge? Well, they apply it. (laughs) 
they make use of it. See, see knowledge, knowledge and, and, and information is absolutely vain if we don't apply it to our lives, if we don't make use of it, if it doesn't have function, if it doesn't have legs, it's empty, it's vain. And all of this time, the last two years, has simply been a waste unless you choose to apply and invest the things that you've learned. And so here's the key question for today. Is this a Gatorade in here? Are you guys upgrading? Is this a body armor? What is this? Oh, it's half, someone half, it's already half drink. Peach mango. Nah, I'm good. That probably had Kenny Morgan's lips on it or something. So here's the key question for today. Are we ready? Are you ready to make the investment? Are you ready to make the investment? See, investment is what mature people do. Mature people invest. When you're immature, you learn how to work a job, don't you? You get a job, you, st- you show up on time, and if you're lucky, they'll keep you around, right? And then you collect a wage, you, you, you collect an income, and, and you use that to pay your bills, and you use that money to sustain your family and to meet their needs, and, and then you begin to save money because sometimes there's emergencies and you need to have money stored away in order to take care of when your car breaks down, which in your 20s happens once a week. Okay, and that's, 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 that's the learning stages. That's coming into maturity. Learning how to do those things is coming into maturity. But what do mature people do? What do people in their late 20s, early... Brett, what's up, bro? What do people in their early 30s do? They begin to invest. They get a 401k, right? They get a Roth IRA. They, they invest in mutual funds. That's what, that's what mature people do. They learn to make an investment. Now, now that an investment has been made in you, a deposit has been made into your life. The, the, the letter to the church in Corinth was a deposit into your life. And you've learned all of these new things about who you are and what your Christianity means. Are you going to make an investment into the work of the Lord? That's the, that's the question that we are going to conclude with. Today's sermon is called, Within the value of investment. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 24. And we'll close out there. Let's pray. Have your fingers in 1 Corinthians. All right. Rainy day again. Wake up, folks. Wake, wake up. Let that caffeine hit. Yeah? Okay. And when I'm praying, no one's looking. You need to scurry over there and get some more coffee. And you, you know, just do that. Just do that now. Do it now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this journey, and thank you, uh, that, Lord, you're so explicit in your word, and, and 1 Corinthians is one of those letters that's so directive and so clear. Um, we're just, we're grateful because we need it. Uh, we need that. We are weak, we are feeble, uh, and we do make excuses to sin. We, you know, behave improperly, and we indulge our flesh, and it's your word that corrects us. It's your word that reproves us, and and brings us into the light. And Lord, I pray that if there are any in this room that have yet uh, not yet acknowledged the truth of who you are, if they've not yet laid down their sin and repented, if they've not yet committed themselves to you fully, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would do that, that faith would enter their heart and that they would determine 
that you are worth being right with. So help us today uh, as we conclude this book and, and bless us uh, with this, uh, this last uh, salutation from Paul. We pray in Christ's name, amen. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And all the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with an holy kiss. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> After having just explained to the church in Corinth that it, it might be some time before he can come and, and be with them and teach them, Paul takes time here to charge them with the, with the posture that they ought to take, a posture of fearlessness. He calls them to a disposition. He calls them to a stance that every good soldier should take. He asks them to present themselves as battle ready, to, to take on a new level of maturity. That's what he's asking of them. And that's what I'm going to be asking of you today as well. So be prepared. So the very first thing that he addresses is what does it mean to be battle ready? And he starts here with this this. Command, watch ye, watch ye. Throughout the Bible, the call to watch is repeated over and over again. Watch ye is a charge to be observant, to be aware, to be prepared. Watch ye is a call for the church to be ready. Now, why does Paul charge them with this? Why is this what he begins with here? Because every believer and every church that is not ready and watching is first and foremost vulnerable. They are vulnerable. Your faith can be made vulnerable if you are not watching. People that aren't watching in their personal life, people who are unguarded, are easy to take advantage of. They are prone to deception of the enemy. The very first illustration that I, I thought of when, when I thought about this idea of watching, I think of 1 Samuel chapter 26 and how as Saul was asleep, David crept in and he took his spear and his water canister. And Saul was completely unaware because he was not on watch. He was vulnerable. And his enemy took his spear, which was his weapon of war. And he took his cruise of water which was his source of strength. He took them from him, unaware, completely unaware. Now listen, there is a thief who desires to disarm you of the truth that God's given you. There is an enemy that desires to steal your, your source of strength, to take the water from your very lips. 
He's an enemy who desires to spoil your house. And I think, I think we would be unwise to not be aware of that. We have, we have three enemies in this world that are constantly seeking to undermine us. We've already addressed this in our series several times. We have, we have the enemy, which is Satan, who is a deceiver, who is a liar. He's the father of lies. So we, we, have, we have Satan, we have your flesh, and we have the world system. The world system that is established, that is created with the intent that it undermine God's word in your life. And if we are not on watch, if we are not paying attention, if we, if we lay down our arms, if we put down our very source of water, our very source of strength, then we are vulnerable to deception and we will be spoiled. Now let me make this very practical to you. And it, and it goes in line with what Sam was talking about in the last service. The day you stop growing in God's word is the day that you've stopped watching. The day that you've said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, you know, I'm not going to wake up this morning and read God's word. That's usually where it starts. The week that passes by where you haven't spent any time in communion with the Lord, where there's been no prayer life. The month that goes by where you're inconsistent, inconsistent in sitting under the preaching of the word. You haven't been attending church regularly. You make excuses to do other things, family events or whatever it might be. Those are moments of slow erosion. These are moments where you, have you, you guys know what I'm talking about when you're driving real late at night and, and, and how you're tempted, you've been tempted, every young person who's done this, I'm sure of it, where your eyes kind of shut, you got to shake it off, you roll the window down, right? You turn the music up real loud, you're like downing some sort of energy drink to keep you like awake. But many of us have probably had friends who late at night fell asleep at the wheel, and have crashed their car. And this is the way that it works with the Lord as well. If we're not watching, then we are tempting ourselves to go to sleep. A little shutting of the eyes, a little folding of the hands, and we become vulnerable to the enemy who wants to deceive us. And so the day that you're not pressing in is the day that you're making yourself unarmed. You understand? This is, this is so critical, especially for young people to understand. There are disciplines that you should employ, and they shouldn't be disciplines of duty. They should be disciplines of passion. <laughs> and so many of us do the Christianity thing because, you know, we think it's the right thing, we, uh, right thing to do. But the truth is Jesus Christ laid his life down and rose from the dead out of pure passion for you. And in return, you should give him your passions and they should establish disciplines in your life. And when you do that, and when you do that consistently, when you, when you take classes in LFBI, when you grow in your faith, when you attend Bible study regularly, what happens is you learn how to watch. You learn how to watch. Jesus shares a, a similar charge with his disciples. Now, there's a, there's a Jewish context in this passage uh, that relates to the second advent and the coming of Christ, but it also applies to the church as well. There's principally some things that we can take from here. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 says, let your loins be girded about. Be, be, be dressed, be equipped. Let your loins be girded about. You know, I, you know, 
Now, I'm gonna, I was going to use an illustration. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that illustration. You guys don't. See, there's, there's got to be a filter sometimes. Okay, so you've got to be dressed. If you're not dressed, you're not ready. You know what I mean? Right? If, you're, if you are, if you, okay. <laughs> if you sleep naked and someone, and, and the apartment complex catches on fire, have you ever thought about what you're going to do? You are unready. You don't have time to get dressed. You should already have some, some clothing on. Or you're going to be out there completely vulnerable. Okay? You understand? Okay, this is just a just simple lesson here. Okay, the same thing is true in warfare. If you're not girded about, if you're not dressed for the occasion, you are vulnerable. We'll get to this more in a second. But, but it goes on and says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Let truth cast a light for you to see. Where, where does light come from? Where does light come from? The word of God. It's a lamp unto our feet. It says, let your lights be burning. Be ready. Be clothed and have your lights burning. Verse 36, and ye yourselves, like unto men, that wait for the Lord. When he will return from the wedding. So, so Christ is the Lord of the house. And he's returning from a wedding. Okay, this, is, this goes to that, some of that second advent con- context. But the point is, is that his servants are waiting on him. They're waiting on his return. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may, may op- uh, open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. What the Lord of the house is looking for is ready servants. So we as servants are watching in order to receive Jesus Christ. Those who were watchful receive Christ in celebration. Those who aren't watching shall receive him in shame and embarrassment. You understand? Those of us who are, who are preparing our lives for the work of the Lord, for those of us who are devoted to the work of the ministry, for those of us who love the idea of the coming of Jesus Christ, when he returns, he will find us ready. But for those of us who are ashamed of it, for those of us who are busying ourselves with temporal things, for those of us who have better things to do, when he returns, we will be unprepared to receive him, and there will be shame, and there will be embarrassment. And so here's our key point. Mature believers are actively watching for Christ's return. It's on their mind. They're thinking about it. They know that their Savior is coming for them, and it affects the way that they live. It affects the way that they think. And, and so if you are mature in the Lord, you are actively watching for Christ's return. And you believe that it could be any moment. And so it affects the way that you prepare yourself. You keep your light burning for him. You remain clothed and prepared. As the passage continues, there's a a further warning that if you aren't watching, you're made vulnerable to the work of the enemy. Verse 39 says, In this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, 
he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And so there's a lot in this passage to unpack because in this illustration, uh, Christ is the thief, but we also know that there is another thief. All right, so there's, there's two ways of applying this and understanding it because there's another thief who seeks to spoil your house. There's the thief that comes in the night and he comes at the moment of the rapture and he will, he will deliver us from this place. But there's also a thief that is subtle and he, and he seeks to wreak havoc on your home and on your life. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy Christ says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so we know that there's a thief who wants to ruin your walk with the Lord. And he's looking for vulnerabilities in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He's looking for them actively and he wants to exploit them. And you know, listen, you know what your vulnerabilities are, you know your weaknesses. But whatever those weaknesses are, Whatever those weaknesses are in your life, I bet you anything that those weaknesses are, always, weaknesses are always stealing away the same thing, making you vulnerable in the exact same way, that you would be unprepared in the work of the Lord and the study of his word. All weaknesses serve into that. Here's the next key point. Mature believers are actively watching in order to prepare themselves from the enemies, for the enemy's attack, which is coming. It is coming. The enemy is always ready and prepared, and he's waiting for the moment in which you are most vulnerable. Paul warns Timothy of the thief's plan of attack. In 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, right? The teaching of God's word. They won't. They won't endure it. They won't stick with the stuff. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They will begin to be compromised by mistruths, by lies. But listen to what it says, verse 5, but watch thou. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry? Watch thou in all things. Ready yourself. Be about the work. Which leads us to this next important thing. There's, there's two things that watching, uh, failing to watch does. And one, it makes you, makes you vulnerable. But two, it makes you ineffective. Failing to watch makes you ineffective. People that aren't watching aren't enduring afflictions. People that aren't watching don't do the work of an evangelist. They don't make full proof of their ministry. People that aren't watching aren't ready, and so they aren't ready to engage. The old saying goes, a good offense is a what? It's a good defense. A good offense is a, is a good defense. The man or woman of God that's prepared to protect is also the man or woman of God that's prepared to pursue to take enemy territory, to move the needle on the mission of Christ. People that are vulnerable can't be useful for the kingdom, but people that are prepared can be. 
And so here is our next key point. You guys with me this morning? Mature believers are actively watching and praying for open doors of opportunity. That's what mature believers do. And so this, this functions as a litmus, litmus test for your own maturity, you understand? You should be asking yourself right now, am I about this? Am I about this? Mature believers have given their lives to watching and praying and preparing for the moment when their coworker is willing to engage them with the gospel. Mature believers are praying for and weeping over the lost souls in their family. Looking at the family reunion or at, the, the, at Thanksgiving or Christmas or, or whatever activity it might be, they're looking for opportunities to share the truth. Mature believers aren't afraid to go out and hit the streets. Kick some tires. Look to see who might be willing to listen. Listen to Paul as he makes a similar statement in his first letter to Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 says this, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now some of us act like we are. Some of us are children of, of light that go into the night. Therefore, let us not sleep. Let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Watch and be sober and put on your battlefield attire. Ready yourself for war. We watch and we wait and we pray knowing that God is leading us into spiritual engagements for his kingdom's sake. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. You know, I want to make a plug real quick here. If, if, if you are new to the faith or you're new to this church, man, there are several good places to really plug in to, and to begin, right? And, and one of those places to go is Bible study. You know, I'm always advocating, like, if you're looking for opportunity to, to get to know people in Kaya and to, to be a part of what's going on and, and to grow in your knowledge of God's word, a great place to start is Bible study. Now, in Bible study, there's a few critical things that go on. Obviously, we study the Bible. That's really important to your growth. But the other thing is we learn to pray. We learn to pray. Our Bible studies take prayer seriously. And we spend time praying over things that are important in our personal lives but are also important to the, to the kingdom, kingdom agendas, and this is where you ought to learn to pray. You need to learn to pray kingdom prayers. It's really healthy for you if you want to be mature in your faith to learn to take the promises of God's words, the things that he declares, the things that he wants to be true in our reality, to take those things and pray them back to him. I mean, so many of us, you know, when we're young and immature, a lot of our prayers are very selfish. And, and, and you know what? There's something to that. There's something to that. Like, my kids are young, and they basically only talk about themselves. 
right? And the reason that they do that is they're trying to establish their identity in context of family life. They're immature in their faith. And so I put up with a lot of, I did this or I want that all day long, right? I put up with a lot of that because I, I love them. But as you mature in your faith, you begin, you begin to talk to God about other things too. Mature believers learn to, to pray kingdom prayers because they're concerned with the Father's heart more than they're concerned with their own. They're concerned with what God wants more than they're concerned with what they want. Now, the beautiful thing is that God wants to hear our selfish little earthly prayers, and, and, and he answers them. So there ain't nothing wrong with praying about your stuff. But man, when you pray and you meet with the Lord, oftentimes what happens is those little things that you pray about, they have a way of transforming into bigger, more abstract, grander prayers that deal directly with what God wants. So you don't pray for a new car, one that works, because, uh, because you, know, you want a nice car, because it's inconvenient to have a bad one. You start praying for a, a new car because you want something reliable to go pick up international students in at the airport. You want to be able to pick your friends up and bring them to church without the car breaking down on, on you know, 70 we begin to think differently. Our, the way that we think begins to transform. And so, listen, y'all, we're supposed to, to watch. We need to be watchful. We need to be not vulnerable. We need to be prepared. We need to be watching for the coming of the Lord. We need to be watching for souls because that's what mature believers do. He continues on here. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast. Stand fast in the faith means to, to stand firm, to be persistent, now, we, we see this phrase in the New Testament quite a bit, stand fast, stand fast. And I want to recommend right now that, that if you're learning how to study the Bible, a lot of you learning how to study the Bible over the summer, right? That's been good, right? Your time in James has been good studying, studying the Bible, learning how to do that for yourself. I highly recommend a word study on stand fast and hold fast, hold fast. The Bible, the New Testament especially, has a lot to say about standing fast and holding fast. Stand fast means to stand firm, to endure, which we've already looked at that word, endure. In Galatians 5.1, we are asked to stand fast in our liberty so that we won't fall back into the bondage of religion. In Philippians 1.27, we're asked to stand fast in one spirit so that we won't lose our unity with the family of God. In Philippians 4.1, we're asked to stand fast in the Lord so that we wouldn't fail to remember the rock of our salvation. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, we're asked to stand fast in the traditions that were taught to us so that we won't be compromised by the doctrines of the world. But why in 1 Corinthians 16 are we being asked to stand fast in the faith? Well, because our position, the ground that we cover, the ground that we protect is always being tested. Our position of faith in God's word and his promises will be tested by the circumstances of life and by the enemy. And all of us face difficulty, don't we? We're all going to face challenges. We're all going to face circumstances. And the enemy wants to, us to lose ground. He wants our feet to falter. 
So Paul says, stand fast. Don't give up the ground that you've been given. You know, some of us in our faith, we've come so far in even a short period of time. Those of you who are in discipleship, you recognize that over those nine months to a year that someone's investing in your life, a lot of maturity begins to happen. A lot of ground begins to be taken, right? Things in your life that were once weaknesses, they kind of fall to the wayside, you know? Um, you begin to, to really understand who you are in light of Christ, and you grow. And immature behaviors begin to disappear as you get more disciplined in your walk with the Lord. And you begin to take ground. God begins to take ground in your life. You know that you can give that ground up again, right? You know that none of us are above falling backwards, slipping and failing and falling and and some of us do that throughout the ground-taking process. Some of us struggle to learn things over and over. We have to learn, relearn that lesson over and over and over again. But the key is that you're moving forward in your faith. If it's two steps forward and one step, step back, that's okay as long as you're moving forward. But so many of us, because we're vulnerable to the enemy, we give up ground. We give up territory. Don't let a well-crafted attack cause you to compromise the advanced position that God has given you. Here's the next key point. Mature believers don't waver. They don't backpedal when their faith is tested. They stand fast. They stand fast. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. To stand against it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the evil day See that word withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Are you doing all to stand, to stand fast? Are you doing everything? Or are you allowing vain thoughts to cause you to compromise? Okay? To cause you to compromise. We need to stand fast. Now, moving on here, it says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men and be strong. Quit you like men and be strong. This is actually one of my very favorite charges in the entire Bible. I love this charge here. Quit you like men is, is something that our, that our generation needs to hear. As the pastor of the college and young adults, I often am thinking sociologically, philosophically, culturally about our world. And I... I, I really believe that this is something that, that, that we struggle with, is being tough, being tough. So many of us have weak and, and soft and, uh, you know, um, genteel uh, ways of looking at the world. And our feelings rule over us. And we're soft. When I was in high school, we'd call, you know, we said the phrase often, soft like Charmin. Soft, it's too much rap culture. Soft like Charmin. Right? You know what Charmin's good for, right? So, 
The truth, the truth of this statement, quit you like men, be strong, it comes in two parts. And I want to address both. First, this phrase, quit you. Quit you. Which implies that there's something in you that is bad. There's something that's in you that requires an intentional quitting, a forfeiture, an abandonment. What is it that's in you that needs to be quit? What thought, what behavior, what heart attitude have you been indulging that needs to be quit? I would suggest that there's a whole lot in you, maybe everything that needs to be quit, because your flesh, your flesh is wicked. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me, that is, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's a lot in you that needs to be quit. There's a lot of you that needs to be mortified, that needs to be laid down at the altar. But more specifically, in the light of the context, it's asking you to quit any part of you that would prevent you from being battle-ready. Anything that would prevent you from being battle-ready needs to be quit. You need to quit fear. You need to quit anxiety. You need to quit depression. Whatever isn't strong in you needs to be dealt with. Now you say to yourself, well, come, you know, in a therapeutic culture like our own, you can't just quit depression. You can't just quit anxiety. That requires Xanax. Says every SoundCloud rapper for the last decade, right? Listen to me. You don't, you don't need prescriptive drugs to overcome anxiety and fear. You don't, you don't need that. You need stronger faith. You need to walk with the Lord for a few seasons. You need to let another believer take you by the hand and walk through your burdens with you and show you what it means to be a conqueror in Christ. There ain't a person in this room that hasn't struggled with depression. Not a one of us. There's not a single person in this room who hasn't at some point struggled with despair. Now the differences between some of us are that some of us indulge despair and we entertain it as a character quality, as an identifier in terms of who we are. I, well, I'm a dep depressed person. It's a mental illness. Listen to, to me. If we're using that broad of an understanding of mental illness, we are all mentally ill. We are all mentally ill. We all have illness of the mind. We all have illness of the heart. We all struggle. We all struggle. Listen to me. Christianity makes you an overcomer. But you've got to determine at the beginning of this thing that you're going to quit you. Quit you. Which means that you need to take on Christ. Take on the person of Jesus. And that leads us to the, the second part here that I want to point out. It says, quit you like men, which is very specific, don't you think? And it reminds us that men specifically must be brave. I know we don't like to talk this way because, you know, like Sam joked about today, there's like 430 genders and we can't talk about men being men. But look, listen, men are built to be brave. 
Men have been crafted for the purpose of doing hard things. Hard things physically, hard things emotionally, hard things intellectually. They're, they're made to do hard things. I want to speak directly to the men in this room and ask you a question. Are you a leader? Men, are you a leader? Are you mature? You know, a mark of the Christian male should be a distinct, a distinct level of courage. A distinct level of courage, a, a true understanding that there's a, a cause greater than your own. You know the difference between a boy and a man? Is that a boy can't see that there's something bigger than themselves. A man knows that their life is, is, is good enough to be sacrificed for something bigger. So here's a key point. Mature believers put on bravery in the face of their enemy. There's a wonderful story that we all know about David and Goliath, right? We all know this story, right? I mean, this was a boy in body, but a man in heart. And when David turned to the men that were cowering at the power of Goliath, what is it that he says to him that reminds me so much of this phrase, quit you like men? What does he say? He says to them, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? In other words, their fear was the direct result of a failure to see the bigger picture. That's why they were cowering in their tents. Because they couldn't see beyond themselves. So, so what, did David, what did, does David's understanding uh, teach us? Well, his understanding was that, the, that there was a value in investing his life, laying down his life. And the value of that investment, the value of his life is not near as great as the value of the reward. Why does someone invest? Okay, to go back to that analogy. Why, why does someone make an investment? Because they're convinced that if they do, that there's going to be a greater reward. Well, why would someone lay down their lives for the cause of Christ? Why would someone be brave in the face of danger when their feelings are telling them to run? when their feelings are telling them to hide, when their feelings are telling them to entertain themselves to death, to sit at home and do nothing with their lives but entertain themselves hour after hour and shut out the world. The brave man realizes that none of that amounts to anything and he's willing to make an investment that produces a greater reward. Bravery in our faith is the product of knowing Christ and knowing him so well that everything else grows more feeble in light of his glory. Everything grows more dull, less important. So this leads us to this next part. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. Now, what's Paul doing here? See, Paul's reminding us of what we've already studied. He's reminding us that there, there is no battle that can properly be waged that isn't waged with a heart of love. There is, there's no battle that can be properly waged 
that isn't waged with a heart of love. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and make a sacrifice of myself for a greater cause, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Nothing. Every eloquent word, every intelligent thought, every gifted investment, every act of faith is all vain without charity. So likewise, every ounce of spiritual bravery that you can conjure up is empty without love for God and love for his people. You might, you might deem yourself a brave person, unafraid, willing, willing to, to go into battle. But listen to me. If it isn't done with a heart of love, it is actually weak. It is actually feeble. And you will falter and you will fail. It must be done with love. So Paul reminds them to be battle ready, to be prepared in their faith. But then he points to the testimony of a leader in their church who's exemplified this kind of behavior, this kind of love, this kind of devotion, this kind of bravery over and over again. And this leads us to the next thing. We need to be battle ready, but we need to be devoted. We need to be devoted. Verse 15 says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So we're introduced to Stephanus here. Stephanus. In chapter 1, we learn that the, the only people that Paul ever baptized in the church in Corinth was the house of Stephanus. Remember that? They were the only ones that he baptized. So Stephanus has been around. What we learn is that Stephanus has been around from the beginning of the church. From those very beginning years. The church is eight years old. And somewhere within that first year or so, Paul made an investment in Stephanus. So Stephanus has been around a minute. Now, here in the passage, we see that Stephanus and his family are a family and a, and a people worth emulating. That they're, 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 there's something very distinct about them and that, that these people have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They've addicted themselves to the ministry. Now, this is the only place in which the word addicted comes up in the entire English Bible. But the usage essentially means that they've given themselves over to the work. Someone that's addicted to something, they've given themselves over to it, right? It is now in control of them. It's the, it's the priority of their life. They can, they can see nothing else. They get, they get tunnel vision. This is, this is exactly how addiction works. We lose sight of everything else. And Stephanus is no different from any of us who've gotten a taste of the joy of ministry. What happens when, you, when, when you've led your, your, your first friend to Christ? The very first time you led someone to, to, to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. What happens in your heart? I mean, that's a, that's a memory and a moment that you will never let go of. I mean, I would wager that our brothers and sisters in Christ that have walked away in the faith and find themselves living a secular life right now will never forget with a vivid memory how they felt 
when they led someone else to Jesus Christ. It's powerful. And for those of us who have done the work of the ministry for any length of time and made an investment in people and recognize the value of soul-to-soul relationship in God's word, there's no doubt about it. You will get addicted. Once you get a taste, there's no letting go. It gets a hold of you. It does something in your heart. And for a person that's addicted themselves to the ministry, the Great Commission becomes our lifeblood. The evangelizing of souls becomes our compulsion. The discipling of saints is our preoccupation. We are about it. So here's another thing about maturity. Key point. Mature believers are infatuated with the ministry. Now, not everybody here is, you know, that's kind of a line of demarcation, even in this ministry. There are a lot of people that like to come here on Sundays. They like to be a part of Bible study because they have friends there. They enjoy the fellowship. They enjoy the company that comes with being a part of Kaya. But there's some of us who've not addicted ourselves to the ministry because we're afraid of what it's going to do to our time and resources. And you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out because true investment in the work of the ministry is the greatest thing that you'll ever do. It's greater than your diploma. It's greater than your job. It's greater than any, than any other activity that you, could, that you could busy yourself with. Your hobbies. Man, some of y'all have some hobbies. And as you come into money, man, those hobbies, there's a danger that they're going to take over your life. I mean, there's some of you right now who spent hours and hours of your life last week like sweating over fantasy football drafts. I mean, not a whole lot of you, but there's a small, there's a small contingent of you in the room who, who are all about it. And we just get so busy with the stupidest stuff. Man, what is your life going to be about? Okay, so look, I've cast my lot in. I've addicted myself to the ministry. It's easy. All this is really easy for me to say because I gave up all that stuff a long time ago and now here I am living the life of a pastor and I do, I do ministry all the time. It's my job. But listen to me. Even I, even I can, can over time lose the addiction. Addiction. You know, how, do, you know how, do, how, does a, how does a alcoholic stop drinking? Well, there's two ways. Okay, there's two ways. But a lot of times they replace it with another addiction. You know what I mean? A lot of times they, they stop drinking, but they start smoking. Or they, stop, they start eating. Or they do some other strange compulsion that they, they take on. A lot of times we're in the business of just re- replacing addictions, one with another. And we're all in danger of that. We need to be mature, and we need to continue to cultivate an addiction for the ministry that God's given us. So church, it's not just a pastime for believers like this. They aren't here for just Sunday morning good times, you know? I mean, this is a good time, right? I can tell by the way you guys are looking at me, how much fun you're having right now. (laughs) They're not in it for that. They're in it for the good and the bad. 
Because like Stephanus, they see the value in the investment. Here is the deal. Paul is asking the rest of the church to submit themselves to people just like this. This is who you want to learn from. You want to learn from the freaks, the weirdos, the ones who are doing this stuff all the time, that are, that are obsessed with it. Verse 15, he says, I beseech you, brethren. And then verse 16, he says, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Submit yourself to them. He wants them to learn from, from and, and yield themselves to those who've addicted themselves to the work of the ministry. And I would make the same appeal to you. For those of you who are new in your faith or new to this church, new, new to the work of ministry, look around and find people who seem to be obsessed with serving Christ and just do what they're doing. That's what I would suggest. Look around and look at the freaks, the, the ones that are like just clearly all about it, who are obsessing about it. They talk about it. They won't ever shut up about church. Look to them and copy what they're doing. I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid to do that. But you know what? This is what mature believers do. And we've come all the way through 1 Corinthians talking about how immature we are. It's time we make some mature decisions. See, God knows there are a lot of Christians who are not addicted to the ministry, and it shows. It shows in their life. It shows in their fruitfulness. It shows in their prayer life, in their relationships. But what could be more important what are you going to do that could possibly be more important than this? So we are to be battle ready. We are to be devoted and we are to be grateful. We are to be grateful. Verse 17, I'm glad. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and, and Achaeus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. Key point. Mature believers are grateful and, and, and they acknowledge those that they are grateful for. Who are you grateful for in the ministry? Who is actively making an investment in you? Who shows you love, biblical love? Who takes time to listen to you? Are you grateful for them and do you acknowledge that gratefulness? Do you, do you write them letters and say thank you? I mean, the best thing that you can do, I, like I believe with all my heart, the best thing you can do for someone you're grateful for is to gather your thoughts in a letter or a note and give it to them. That's the best thing that you can do. Has someone loved you in Christ? Have you valued from the addiction of the ministry in someone else? Mature believers acknowledge those people. They celebrate that work. So what we did last service with, with Andrew and the team, we celebrated the investment that they've made here. That's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, says this, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Know them, those that are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their, for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Esteem them highly. Esteem them highly. You know, no, no one in this ministry, your discipler, doesn't collect a paycheck. Now think about what that amount of time would have cost if you would have invested that 
and a therapist. Okay? Therapists charge $150 an hour uh, for a half hour, most of them, about $150 for a half hour. Say you did that twice a month for a year. You'd be broke, but your discipler gave you all that time for free, and they did it in the name of Christ. Does that not have value? I mean, I watch over and over again where someone comes through discipleship and they're getting love and investment like they've never received it before in their whole life. And they somehow in themselves have the ability to muster up the decision that, yeah, this just wasn't what I was looking for. So I'm out. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for the time. It's been real. It's been real. And then they just slip away. Man, that's tough. That's tough on everybody. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in ministry. Listen, value the investment that's been made in you and is being made in you. It's important. Esteem those people highly. Verse 19, then we close with the salutations and, and brief instruction. Verse 19 says this. The church of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Um, church planters like Aquila and Priscilla, um, church planters often start church planting in their home. Almost all the churches that we've planted as a church, Lee Summit, uh, Tampa, Boston to some degree, uh, most of that work takes place in homes, right? I'm sure that, that, that uh, Andrew's going to learn that as well. And so that's what's happening here, this, this church plant. There's Aquila and Priscilla are saying, hey, what's up? We love you. Verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet you uh, one another with a holy kiss. This is not asking us to go around and kiss each other all the time. This is cultural, okay? And uh, this would be the equivalent of, of saying greet each other with a handshake. Yeah, let's stick with that. Hugs, <laughs> hugs, side hugs in our church with, with the, you know, uh, opposite sex, side hugs are appropriate. Um, but, but listen, uh, greet each other, love each other, sh- show that, be willing to show affection. 21, the salutation of me, Paul, with my own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha, uh, maranatha, which means that those who refuse Christ have accepted, uh, those people who have refused Christ have accepted their fate and uh, they live under a curse. And at the Lord's coming, they're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on what the believers receive, which is a scary thing. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So as we conclude, I want to I end with this. I know we're a little long, right up against the, the gun here. Now, my youngest daughter, Eloise, is six. Okay, you guys with me? She's six years old. Almost every night this last week, Eloise has thrown a fit before bed. And none of it's rational. I, I don't get it. She's tired, you know, summer exhaustion, I suppose. But she's stuck in an emotional rut. And every night when we put her down to bed, there's nothing we can do that uh, appeases her. She just throws a fit. She's angry. She wants another song. She wants, we rub noses. She calls it ugga mugga. So she'll like, we'll do, like, then she'll like ask for it again and again and again. And we'll just rub nose. I'm like, chill out. <laughs> there's nothing, she just throws a fit. She goes to sleep. This is how, this is how children act. Um, because reasoning with children is difficult. And she, like most kids, wants her way. 
Kids pitch a fit because they don't like to hear truths that run counter to their own preconceptions. And adults are no different. Adults just like us, we want to hear our own thoughts parroted back to us all the time. We naturally, we naturally seek affirmation and shun criticism and critique. But Christian accountability requires confrontation. And to be a healthy biblical Christian, you must invite sharpening, the sharpening of other people's words, the sharpening of their testimony. The letter, in Corinth, the letter to Corinth has been a letter of hard truths for us. Paul has told us a lot of things that a lot of us didn't want to hear. He's been tough. He's exposed false teaching. He's revealed our weaknesses and our immaturity. His words oppose the culture of, of our churches and of the people that we engage with, people that struggle with pride and arrogance. We name this series Dear Corinth. Because despite the hardness of the content, it's ultimately a letter of love. Love for people that need challenging. And that's who we are. We are a people in need of challenging. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We are a people in need of challenging. So be meek and admit when you're wrong. Be humble and ready to receive truth. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Because if you are, you will make vain the teaching of God's word. I want to invite the worship team up uh, to close. And I want to I end this way. There's a lot of things to consider. A lot of teaching that we've received over the last two years, I think. Two years of, of being in, in 1 Corinthians. If there's something that you need to pray about from today's sermon, something you need to address, let's do that. There'll be people up front. Anything that you need to have addressed. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted him. Maybe you believe, but you've never repented of your sin. You never laid your life down before him and called upon him as your Savior. Today would be a wonderful day for you to do that. Come meet with someone and talk to them. If there's other spiritual issues that you're dealing with, struggling with, maybe issues of anxiety or depression that you haven't been able to, to beat, come forward and talk to somebody and they'll get you the help that you need. I, I promise you it'll be from God's word, but, uh, but it'll be effective and they'll, be, they'll love you and they'll treat you with kindness. But let's, let's go to the, to the Lord. He's the one that makes us mature. We can't just decide to be mature. He makes us mature. So let's ask for his help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank, thank you for for who you're making us to be, how you're changing us. We're grateful for this letter. Um, Lord, I'm grateful for the friends in this room and for the ministry that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bind us together, that you would continue to grow us and strengthen us, Lord, that you'd continue to allow us to plant churches all over the world. But all of that is contingent on whether or not we determine to grow and, and to mature in your word and and to quit ourselves and take on you. So help us. Help us to do the hard thing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, 
for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.